Welcome back, Cowboys and Cowgirls, to Ingles Indian, a Cowboys Right for Free podcast coming to you live-ish from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, my lovely girlfriend's office. So if I sound different, I'm in a different space. And as always, your good friend and mine, the Sultan of Size, the Colossus of Consternation. <laughs> Ian, how you doing today, buddy? Oh, man, I, I'm doing good. I'm excited for the game on Saturday. It's always going to be... It's always interesting to see what OSU does every Saturday when it comes to football. Uh, but it's not only just me today. Today we have uh, Parker Fleming, a.k.a. Stats of War, from our friends at the TCU S&B Nation blog, uh, Frogs of War. So, Parker, man, how are you doing today? Hey, doing doing great. Um, I will I will say not that I don't love Frogs of War and the uh, and the guys over there. I don't write for them anymore. Um, good friends with Melissa and Jamie, kind of do a, a podcast of TCU on my own called Purple Theory. Uh, but I do I do national coverage now, so I write for Football Outsiders, and then I have a twice weekly show for for Bet US. So uh, definitely TC Roots and Frogs of War is where I got started. So always have um, you know special place in my heart for the uh, for the SB Nation folks. My bad. I'm so no, no, totally fine, man. Sorry. Not fun at all. Not fun I, at all. Half of my tweets are to Melissa and Jamie, so you know it's uh, it's all the same. It's not not a problem. So, what kind of content do you uh, do you produce for these national peoples? Yeah, so uh, on Monday I do a, a column called One Foot in Bounds, and I basically just kind of do an advanced stats recap of the weekend. Although, really, advanced stats recaps in this number, I just do a recap of the weekend, and I'm a nerd, so it turns out to be an advanced stats recap most of the time. Um, and then the Bet US show is and the and the Purple Theory podcast are more um, forward looking, and so I am projecting games. Um, I have a little website, cfb-graphs.com, where I do some numbers and some um, statistics and I post these advanced stats previews on, on Twitter. And, uh, and so those kind of numbers are what I use to, to look forward for games as well. So a little bit of graphic design, a little bit of data visualization, a little bit of, uh, uh, modeling and analysis and a little bit of just talking football. I won't bore the listeners, but I am curious to know what you use for your data visualization and data processing. Cause I do a lot of I that. Do- Everything in R. So we should definitely, mm. I'm, I'm super nerd about it. So we should definitely talk about yeah, it. I'm yeah, a big, I'm a big R fan as well. But no one cares about computer programming on this podcast. <laughs> so let's, let's get in the game. So another night game. How do you feel with TCU rolling in, blackout, Barry Sanders statue, ring of honor? I mean, that's going to be a pretty challenging environment for y'all. So what do you think? How do you think your team is going to respond here? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Stillwater is theoretically a really hard place to play. Um, you know, TCU recently has had just some stupid, uh, stupid games up there. If you kind of look at the history, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of like 2017. I feel like this game is is a little bit similar. Obviously, that one happened at the beginning of the season. This one's the end of the season. But kind of walking into the hornet's nest there of, hey, Oklahoma State's ranked and they're really, really good. Um, and, you know, TCU has been able to um, to go into those situations and win. That being said, on the road this year, they are uh, very bad, uh, um, only beating Texas Tech, which isn't isn't really a consolation prize um, at all. So I'm, I honestly think it'll be a big, big atmosphere, which is a lot of fun. I feel like TCU hasn't had a big, big game in, in a couple of weeks now, maybe even a couple of years, honestly, with how bad they've been. So were you just, anticipating I because I wasn't anticipating this at the beginning of the season if we were to time travel at the beginning of the season and I were to tell you Gary Patterson is going to mutually part ways during the season how how surprised would you have been um I mean I definitely think the writing was on the wall that we were coming to the end of the Gary Patterson era I really did foresee um, and talked about a bunch on my podcast and kind of this offseason that the transition would not be Gary not coaching it would be hey he's he's going to be not involved with the play by play stuff and kind of transition into more of a CEO role and it appears that he was just not interested in that so um I mean it's it's obviously shocking I don't, I I think that after the West Virginia and the Kansas State games with how bad and, and just how poorly the season has gone, uh, you know, 129 FBS coaches would be fired this season. And so um, I, it, it was really, really shocking. Cause I just uh, really, I mean, we, we were talking about transition for a while at TCU and kind of what that looks like, because frankly, Gary Patterson has earned the right to go out on his own terms for, for better or for worse. But um Interesting that TCU made the switch and was able to make the switch. And honestly, it looked like Coach B just stopped having fun and just said, you know what? Um, 
if I'm going to transition out, like we're not going to win 10 games this year. We're not going to win 10 games next year. I'm not going to keep beating my head against the wall. I'm going to, I'm going to walk away. So um, it's, it's definitely shocking. Although uh, only the timing is shocking, not necessarily the fact that it was happening. So what do you, how do you feel about all the uh, speculation and talk about a uh, prime time coming to town? Yeah, I think that the internet is just a terrible place and people really don't understand nuance. Um, Cause it's like, People are, you know, people are saying things like, well, Deion Sanders is really good at NIL. Walmart built, built Jackson State a new field. Like they're going to be, um, you know, he could, he could do that at TCU. And you're like, well, Deion Sanders has a very specific mission and a vision for an HBCU. Um, and Walmart is strategically partnering with an HBCU to kind of raise the level of football there. So it's not necessarily like, you know, um, TCU is many things. Uh, an HBCU, TCU very much is not. And so there's some... Um, just differences in terms of goals, objectives, and 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 who would be interested in strategically partnering with TCU. Um, not to mention, like, I don't know if you guys know about like prime prep, but that happened just down the road from DFW, and it would be super embarrassing to uh, being a, an institution in DFW to say, "Hey, we're just going to overlook that and have him come lead our football program." I think that would be uh, a little a little odd. All right. I've never heard of that. So what, what was that? Oh, Google, Google it later. Prime prep. It's Deion Sanders' uh, Academy. They, they had some eligibility issues. It's like the original Bishop Sycamore, more or less. <laughs> oh, still Why my don't... favorite story of the year. <laughs> oh yeah. A very, a very good one. I was going to say, cause uh, Oh, what was it? Uh, Deion Sanders had lunch with like Des Bryant at one point, And then that ruined Des Bryant's season at one point. So I don't know how much TCU wants to get into that whole thing. I just looked up the prime prep thing. That's oh, yeah, that's a crazy. rabbit trail to go down, dude. It's it's crazy. Absolutely. So let's talk about the this OSU TCU game on Saturday. Um, Chandler Morris is indeed starting, from what I've been able to gather, and because he was so good in the Baylor game, what I kind of want to ask is why wasn't he starting earlier? Is there did Gary P have a like a loyalty? To Duggan or like what what went into that decision? Yeah, so this is really um, a little bit difficult because it does require some nuance. Um, obviously, it's really easy from outside to see, you know, TCU's offense, the, TCU hasn't been winning games. And then they make a switch at quarterback because Duggan's foot is hurt and he, you know, he was playing through it. Um, and, and so the quarterback comes in, he's healthy and, and, and plays a pretty great game. And, and TCU wins in an upset victory at home um, to think like the, the variable was the quarterback. Uh, TCU, especially under Coach Patterson, has had some normative commitments on offense to um, controlling the ball, being turnover averse, winning physically by, by rushing. Um, and they really didn't have to stick to any of those uh, as well. So not only did they have a healthy quarterback who had their full his full arsenal, they were able to craft a game plan that was kind of free of these, you know, other commitments. Doug Meacham, longtime air raid guy, doesn't want to run the ball. And TCU ran the ball fewer than they have, fewer fewer times than they ever have. Um, also, just kind of very weirdly, TCU's offensive line played like the best game of their entire season, maybe the best TCU offensive line game a, a couple of years. Uh, TCU really wants to run play action and they haven't been able to do it. And so Chandler Morris came in and was able to run play action and then extend some plays with his legs. And um, I mean, he looked, he looked great. He had a, he had a great um, showing. Uh, I think that was a glimpse of kind of an alternate reality too, where if Duggan had been healthy uh, all season and if TCU was a TCU's offense was kind of allowed to run this um, play action middle of the field, uh, kind of a little bit more, uh, a little simpler, but a little more um, effective offense that TCU, TCU could have been um, something special this year. Uh, overall, TCU's offense has not been bad at, this year at all. Like they, they've scored 30 points five times before the Baylor game. They are a really, really a talented unit, have some absolute freaks um, along the, uh, you know, in their skill positions. The issue for TCU was just a couple, uh, one offensive line play was really, really poor. A couple, um, you know, a really bad habit of making a first and 10, a first and 15 with a false start or holding or whatever. And then also um, just some, just some, uh, some of those normative commitments where TCU's offensive coordinator, Doug Meacham had to say, yeah, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to run some weird plays. We're going to do some weird things that aren't necessarily um, the best idea for a, um, an offense to kind of maximize their potential. So 
really, really impressive and, and obviously leaps and bounds so much better than what we've seen the last two weeks at a TCU. But TC's offense is still like 12th in EPA per play. I expect the points added a, a measure of efficiency. So they, they, I mean, they've been good all season. Um, their issue really has been defense most of the season. So you're, you're expecting a completely different game plan for Oklahoma State than they've been running most of the, the season. Yeah, I think we'll see more of, of that yesterday. I, I, not, no, that was the wrong way to say that. More of what we saw last week of TCU against Oklahoma State. Um, it's interesting because I do think that uh, Oklahoma State uh, along the line has you know five guys who can get pressure. And so how they kind of simulate pressure, move guys around with kind of the, the front four and then Malcolm Rodriguez uh, presents a lot of wrinkles that could really, really struggle or really, really hurt TCU. Um, Baylor's secondary has also been really, really poor this season. And they've been able to mask it in multiple ways, but um, effectively TCU's game plan uh, all season, but, but specifically last week was we're going to run play action. And then we're just going to let our dudes beat you like Tay Barber, absolute dude, been underutilized. Quentin Johnston, one of the best receivers in the Big 12. Um, and, and so I think that Oklahoma State matches up a little bit better in one-on-one than Baylor did against TCU. And uh, so I expect we'll see some more innovation from the TCU offense. But um, generally, I don't know that it's uh, – I think it's, you know, kind of uh, hedging here and there, kind of doing some smarter things here and there, and not necessarily, oh, this is going to be an entirely different offense. It's going to be It's going to be a, um, you know, uh, uh, 10 personnel empty kind of – air raidish offense, you know, no matter what that we're going to see less, uh, less nonsense with, with tight ends and, and keeping seven man protection so that TCU can, um, kind of work through all the routes. Right. I mean, the Oklahoma state secondary is going to be way better than Baylor's. Uh, I mean, that will be a lot of fun to watch those guys battle, you know, peel on the outside and everything. That'll be a, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I agree. And, and, and I think that there's kind of these, um, like levels, like, uh, you know, defense in, in some ways is kind of like a series of interdependent processes. So like it all depends on the weakest link. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see what Oklahoma state can do, uh, at the defensive line, because what TCU's had to do all season is they've had to keep six and seven men in protection. And again, an, a good air raid offense needs four receivers to be running these kind of symmetric routes and, and kind mm. of working through progressions. And if you've got to keep seven guys in, well, seven, then eight is the quarterback. You've only got three guys to run routes and your quarterback's still often getting, getting pressured. Um, the kind of trade-off between that extra man of protection that TCU had to keep in really limited the offense. Interesting to see if TCU can kind of attack not only the ones, but the twos and the threes on the Oklahoma State defense um, and kind of create that secondary option. With Gary Patterson being gone, what does this mean for Zach Evans? And also, is Zach Evans going to play on uh, Saturday? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I don't want to spread rumors. I'm, uh, I, I would not bank on him being um, around. Um, he got an MRI. He was in a boot. Now it's turf toe. Um, let the reader understand. It- Turf toe is one of those things that like it doesn't sound terrible until you like read up what like that injury actually is and it's terrible. Oh, I've had it. It's awful. I'm not demeaning turf toe in any way or shape or form. I'm just saying there's a lot of reasons why Zach Evans isn't on the field. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just remember when I was young, like me and my friends were like, turf toe, why isn't he playing? And I like read up what turf toe was. It's like, oh wow, that's like torn ligaments and all sorts of bad stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty rough generally. Uh, but but I, I don't think it's I'm trying to not say anything that's too mean, but there, there's there's other things that are going on there. I was going to say, if we might need to cut this out, but uh, do you think he's going to transfer? Next um, I think that's certainly uh, certainly on the table. Feel free to leave that in. I think that's um, a non-zero possibility, especially with the coaching change. I think opens that up too. Yeah. And- yeah. I mean, anytime a coach leaves and anyone's open to transfer, I mean, that's just the nature of college football now, especially with the transfer portal and everything else. As well, because Texas Tech already hired their coach. So where where does that leave TCU? And I think uh, Sonny Dykes was mentioned in the conversation as well. Who do you think that TCU could go after that maybe either like isn't like a name right now or just like hasn't been fired yet? Or where, where do you think TCU is going to try to go with their head coaching? Yeah, I think that the, the finalists right now are, are, are Sonny Dykes and are Billy Napier. Um, although I think that um, Napier is... Not that he's not a serious candidate. I just think that he could get a better job. Um, I, I, all signs point to it being Dykes. I have some um, information that they are working on 
uh, just finally out, finalizing a few details. He has been offered two extensions at SMU and has not signed them this fall. Um, he clearly wants the job. Uh, it, it, it is it is going to be Dykes more than likely, unless something just absurd happens here. Um, Napier, I think, wants an SEC job. Specifically, he wants Florida or Alabama. And of course, TCU would be a better place to wait that out than um, Louisiana. But uh, Florida might be coming open sooner rather than later. Um, he really likes it in Louisiana. So I think that that is not really a, an avenue TC is going to pursue. And then, you know, you've heard Matt Campbell reached out. I joke that he is just getting a makeover before prom season. He knows that there's going to be a big job market. And so he's just trying to get his name back in the news and make sure everyone knows he's a hot item. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Deion Sanders obviously was, um, LaDainian Tomlinson was involved in the search process and he pushed for Deion Sanders. And so if you ask someone for their help and they give you a suggestion, you have to, uh, take that into account. They've talked to Jay Norvell. He wouldn't be the worst at Nevada. He wouldn't be the worst fallback option. He's been at Texas a little bit, um, and around. And then they've also talked to Tony Elliott at, uh, Clemson. I don't think he's a serious candidate though. I think they're just kicking tires on folks. I kind of like the prospect of Jay Norvell because he was, he was an offensive coordinator at OU or I guess co-offensive coordinator got fired, went down to Texas and he's done great things at Nevada with uh, Carson strong. You mentioned Billy Napier earlier. I, I happen to really like Billy Napier and I thought he would, he should get the Auburn job. I'm not saying, but Brian Harson is a bad hire, but I've just thought, man, Billy Napier would be great at Auburn. And when you mentioned that he wanted to go for like an Alabama or a Florida, that, that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's well-respected and, and honestly like TCU is, is a really good, a good job. I think Nick Saban at one point had talked about TCU being like a top 10 job and uh, you know, access to talent mm-hmm. you can recruit your own backyard. Um, you have, you know, all the money you could ever ask for. You've got a unique brand, which I think matters more and more. And then in DFW, you've got connections with, you know, someone could come here and work with, um, you know, not just local Fort Worth and Dallas businesses, but work with American airlines work with, I mean, there's so many big things here where someone could come in with NIL and be smart and really hook some folks up. So, um, a a lot of promise here. I mean, no no offense. I like Stillwater and and Oklahoma state has a bigger alumni base, but on the margin, I think I'd rather try to recruit and coach in DFW than I would Stillwater or Lubbock, um, or even Waco. And so TCU could be, kind of the team of the, um, of the DFW Metroplex and, and, and in that way kind of position themselves to be at the top of the new big 12, if they make a smart hire who can kind of do all those things. And do you I, think I, with I the, uh, with, with schools, we, we've talked about in the past about how the DFW market is getting a lot more crowded, you know, you got more FBS teams in general, SMU, Granite, you know, Sunny Dykes, you know, bring that team back. But do you think the recruiting is going to be, easier hard I mean as hard because it seems like Patterson's had an issue with recruits as well um I I mean I I do and I don't think that he has you know they're third in the big 12 by a pretty pretty solid margin in recruiting and have been and recruiting has gotten better um basically every year the last couple of years they TCU's had some issues with quarterback pipelines um but generally I I think that TCU has done well uh, Texas Tech has really been the one that suffered in DFW right because Baylor has pushed Baylor and TCU has pushed them out and SMU is going up the other kind of um lurking variable there is Sam Pittman at Arkansas is really pushing into Dallas and so if if someone could come into TCU and kind of consolidate the market um I I think that they would be well suited to kind of push guys out a lot of Texas people want to stay home and, you know, one thing that Sonny Dykes has done well is he's kind of captured people who have gone and left the Metroplex and said, hey, come back. And so, you know, that there's a lot someone could do there with the amount of talent here. Um, but I don't think that um, I mean, I, I, I don't think recruiting has been TCU's problem in any way, shape or form the last couple of years. OK, that's cool. Quarter, quarterback aside, like obviously quarterback pipeline is just absolutely screwed. But um, that's mm-hmm. That could go down a long list of, uh, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> well, I mean, just even the season, you could, you're just seeing how hard it is to like find a good quarterback. I mean, how many top tier quarterbacks aren't even playing anymore? You know, Spencer Rattler, he's on the bench. Um, you know, there, there's just a bunch of those guys who just aren't playing anymore. Yeah. I mean, and, and like guys like Bo Nix, who are, you know, just excellent recruits yeah. have been up and down. And I, I think quarterback development, I mean, um, you know, the, the, the flash in the pan, flash in the pan is maybe too harsh of a word, but the, 
the Tuas and the um, Trevor Lawrence's uh, really, really did a number where, where I don't know why people expected someone to just walk on campus and become excellent, but it happened twice. And, and then everyone says, oh, somebody has to be immediately awesome or they're a bad quarterback. Our, our, our perception of quarterback development is, is definitely weird and it's becoming harder. Like there are not elite quarterbacks. I think about, um, I don't know how much you guys follow, but like Chase Bryce at App State was awful at Duke and he transferred and he's at App State now playing quarterback and App State just said, we just know what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to scheme for you. And he's been fine, better than fine. He's been pretty good except for the Louisiana game. And so, I mean, the, the future of college football is not just recruiting these elite athletes because, you know, athleticism is increasing across the board. It's, hey, can I design a system for my quarterback to function without having NFL caliber uh, quarterback play? Because that's that's getting fewer and fewer, like that's getting scarcer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. If somebody somebody in the NFL said that um, quarterbacks don't fail teams fail the quarterbacks because they fail the scheme for the quarterback. And you saw that, you know, with, uh, you know, Baltimore, right. When Lamar Jackson took over, they just completely re, you know, redid the offense and he took off. So I, I think you, I think a lot of reason quarterbacks fail or thrive when they go somewhere new, it's a better scheme fit and not a talent issue. Yeah. I, I mean, especially at the NFL level, for sure. I mean, guys, guys bust and, 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 in the, in college ranks all the time, but especially at the NFL. And, and then that, that does have some truth. I mean, even talking specifically about Max Duggan, like all last year, TC was asking Max Duggan to do things that he cannot do. And then saying like, Oh, he's a bad quarterback. And I was like, no, you're, you're a bad recruiter. Cause you didn't go get a quarterback that you, that fit the system. And then you're a bad offensive coordinator. Cause you're not designing a system that will help your quarterback succeed. What you're doing is hitting your head over the wall over and over and over again, and then complaining about a 19 year old. So. Right. Well, and I think a lot of times, especially in college, you know, you have this idea that a quarterback can play in any offense, right? Like, you know, especially at Oklahoma state, we're guilty of this because we had quarterbacks throw in all over the yard. who weren't, top tier guys. And that was that way for 15 years. And now Sanders is, you know, he's not throwing like we're used to see it, you know, 250, 250 yards a game, not the 400 we were used from, used to seeing from Whedon and uh, Rudolph and even Taylor Cornelius was throwing for 350 plus yards a lot, you know? And so I I think that that perception of, oh, it's the system and not the quarterback has been pushed a little too hard. I definitely think there's case by case basis. The issue with Oklahoma state right now is that they're a defensive school. They're not an offensive school anymore. Just the way that they have recruited and the way that they have um, developed guys and the way that they're like, honestly, Sean Gleason didn't work out. And it was like, okay, we're going to become a defensive school. Um, That that wasn't like the exact delineation, but that's kind of it is like Sean Gleason came in and you thought, Oh, they're going to take the next step on offense. And turns out he's not super fun to be around. And so he had to go get a different working arrangement. Um, but uh, I mean, and, and so Oklahoma state's just become this defensive juggernaut, which is, you know, it's kind of crazy under um, Gundy being there so long and being so consistently good at offense for them to have the exact opposite focus. Yeah, it is as a long time fan. It is weird to see. I mean, the defense uh, we've talked about a lot is just something special this year. And I know the part of it's that, you know, those super seniors and COVID and like, there's a bunch of, you know, old guys on that defense and Jim Knowles is scheming it up. Right. So that's going to be, this is, I'm not uh, actually segue into this is so you've got this kid um, who's, you know, this will be his second start against Oklahoma state. Right. I think it's the second start. And you've got on the other side, you've got a super experienced defense. So where do you think, talent versus experience are going to hit here. And like, who do you think will win that battle? Well, I mean, I I definitely think that if I am, um, excuse me, if I'm Oklahoma state, my goal is to make, uh, is absolutely to make Chandler Morris uncomfortable and say, you're going to beat me. Uh, TCU is down to one scholarship running back. And so, um, that that's definitely going to be an issue, but I think that overall, you know, the passing game here with, with so many weapons, I, I think Oklahoma State's going to toe a fine line of trying to get to Chandler Morris, but then trying to sit back and make sure that he doesn't, you know, get anything over the top. Um, I, I definitely would lean here towards Oklahoma State being able to win that battle there. You know, I have um, I have them as the seventh best defense in the nation. 
and have TCU's offense at 12. Obviously, there's opponent adjustments you can make to kind of change that around, but especially of late, Oklahoma State's defense has just been really, really good, and and their whole MO is kind of this vice grip of, hey, maybe you're going to get some stuff early, but we're going to adjust, and then we're just going to cut you off, and and that's worked in almost every game except Iowa State for you know whatever reason, uh, and and so generally, I think that I, I expect a little bit of early success out of TCU, but I expect um, Oklahoma State to to find out what works very easy, very quickly on defense and uh, and kind of take care of business there okay so how do you what do you think tcu's defense needs to do to uh, beat osu on the offensive end is it will you go like look back at the baylor game where they had three interceptions on them you, you look back at you know iowa state and just where they just stuff the run game what, what do you do if you're tcu yeah i mean would would be nice to um have three, uh, it <laughs> would be nice to have three interceptions for sure. I think when you look at the splits of Oklahoma state's offense, they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're 84th in, uh, uh, they're 49th in passing EPA. Um, and I think that generally what I, what I would try and do if I was TCU is I would try and avoid letting Spencer Sanders get anything downfield on me and say, you're going to have to do three yards in a cloud of dust. Now, TCU's run defense has been really bad this year. And so that is a gamble, but there's a couple of guys who haven't played, who have been healthy or who haven't been healthy, who are playing now. I think Shad Banks at that second linebacker spot. You remember he was a Texas A&M recruit who switched positions and came over to TCU. Um, he had the actually game-winning interception last week. I think that he'll be a guy that'll be involved. And, and in the run game, I mean, he's hefty. He's like 250. And so I think that what TCU is going to do is say, we'd like to body you in the run game. We've worked out some of our run fit issues. We have our personnel in the field and we're not going to let Spencer Sanders go deep. Now, that being said, TCU has issue at cornerbacks and, you know, uh, Presley and Tay Martin are, are excellent. And so I, I think Oklahoma state really has a knack for, for matchups and kind of isolating the weak link there. And that'll be an interesting battle to, um, kind of look around. So one stat I wanted to point out was uh, since TCU joined the Big 12 in 2012, Oklahoma State has a 5-4 to four lead in the series in the nine games that have been played. But in the last four, TCU has won the last three, including last year, 29-22. Uh, so I'll ask you this first, Jacob. Does that make you nervous at all for this game? I know it's uh, you know, different teams now, and heck, uh, TCU's got a different coach. But does that does that worry you at all? Uh, I mean, to an extent, but, you know, it's, it's a different coach, right? I mean, granted, Meacham, he's been around TCU for a long time now. Um, I worry about not having much tape on the quarterback. Uh, that scares me a lot because we don't know exactly what we're getting and we can kind of scout, you know, the TCU offense. But as Barker said earlier, how they're playing, you know, how they played against Baylor is a lot different than what's coming in. Uh, I worry about it being the blackout and the Barry Sanders thing. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State will win this game, but I, I'm, I am worried about it. It doesn't make me as worried knowing that it's a Barry Sanders game and knowing that it is the blackout. I feel like that helps in some ways, but I understand the uh, it could hurt. Uh, another stat that I found, I was looking at Oklahoma State's playoff ranking history. They have been in the top 10, let me find this real quick, two times in 2015 and one more time in 2016. In those games, as a top 10 team, they are one for two, with their one win being week 10 of 2015 when they were ranked eighth. Yeah, I mean, and plus when you're ranked this high, you know, people are gunning for you, right? You're going to get their best. Um, But again, you know, this has all been under Patterson. So I have this vision of, you know, Gary Patterson on the sideline uh doing his thing coaching up you know coaching him up making the adjustments everything else and that's not there anymore so it's it's this big giant question mark and the question mark worries me well granted it's like bill snyder with uh kansas state whenever they brought in uh, chris Kleiman. i mean it was like where's bill snyder like (laughs) it it is a huge adjustment for for sure and the fact that you only had about two weeks to prepare for that different coaching adjustment from Jerry Kill and now with Chandler Morris coming in at quarterback, it does make you nervous. And especially with the spread being so high, I mean, the spread is 12 right now in favor of Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's too big. So, Parker, you do some betting stuff. Uh, what do you think about the line here? Do you think it's right, too high, too low? 
My numbers have this about uh, right at 11. So 12 gets a little bit uncomfortable there, but I, I, I bet this TCU when it was 13 and a half where it, where it opened earlier this week. So, um, I mean, I, I think TCU is capable of covering. Um, I think that Oklahoma State's offense is pretty bad and TCU's defense has gotten a little bit better um, as, of, as of late. But I do think that Oklahoma State's offense is, is, or excuse me, defense is maybe the best unit TCU's played all year on that side of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see kind of the um, colliding forces of, of TCU's little little resurgence. And um, again, TCU's offense has been good, but you know it's a little different there versus you know Oklahoma State is is focused and knows what they're knows what they're doing. I certainly don't think TCU will win. I do think that they'll cover. I think they'll keep it close. They'll need. Um, something weird to happen. They'll need, you know, we mentioned earlier, the three interceptions or something um, like the last couple of years when Oklahoma state's been favored and TCU was one TCU needs something weird to happen for them to be able to, um, to take over. Um, what, one thing that'll be interesting to see, I think last year, I mean, this is the first time Gundy Patterson or Gundy, Gundy has faced TCU without Patterson on the sideline. And in my opinion, specifically last year, like TCU did a great job of denying Tylen Wallace the ball, and Oklahoma State really didn't have offense outside of that. Uh, specifically, the one touchdown and maybe the one big catch that Tylen Wallace had was the one time they switched him over to CJ Caesar. And so TCU made some great halftime adjustments last year. I wonder how much that's going to come into um, play here and whether, you know, acting defensive coordinator Chad Glasgow can cook something up at halftime to make sure that he anticipates Gundy's counterpunch. Because the last couple of years has been close at halftime and then kind of been decided uh, one way or the other going out. What was it, 2019 or 18, where TCU scored like 30 points in the third quarter just absolutely randomly? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, that, that, that kind of uh, anticipation is something that TCU's used really, really well because Patterson has a good feel for what Gundy likes to do. And without him, I, I, I'm a little bit worried it could be close at halftime and, and kind of be, you know, a, a double digit lead by the end of the third quarter, never to, never to get close again. Yeah, I I kind of expect uh, them to be pounding the the ball with Warren again uh, against y'all's defensive line. You know, he's gotten a a lot fewer carries the last two games than he has earlier in the season, so his legs ought to be fresh. And uh, and then that'll open up, you know, the to Tay Martin or Presley across the middle. So I have two stats, two stats for you. Uh, Both are kind of counterintuitive to each other, but uh, Oklahoma State. since the Tulsa game, they are 7-0 and against the spread. So the first two games, uh, they, they failed to cover, obviously. But the next seven, they have, uh, they have won against the spread. And then the second stat is that the last three games have been, all of them have been within seven. I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, in 2018, it was 31-24 OS, uh, or TCU. Uh, 2019, it was 34-27 OSU. And then last year, twenty nine to twenty two in favor of TCU. So I'm uh, I'm in uh, full agreement with Parker here. I I think they are TCU is going to cover, but I think Oklahoma State will win. Yeah, I don't see any way Oklahoma State covers this line. But again, I said that against Kansas and saw what happened there. So who knows? <laughs> well, look, mean, man, look, things are rough for things are rough for TCU. They are not they are not Kansas bad. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say like I don't know if you should be putting TCU in the same breath as Kansas. I mean. But yeah, I I respect TCU a lot, and we can get into our score predictions. But I think it might be a seven to ten point game here. Uh, I'll say Oklahoma State seventeen uh, ten. Oof, taking the under under. Dang, yeah. yeah. Over under is fifty four and a half. I don't like Oklahoma State overs right now, so I'm just seventy five percent under for Oklahoma State games this year. Yeah, so I, yeah. I pulled that. I think on the show we were talking about that earlier this week. So. Um, definitely. I mean, I think 27 total points is pretty low, but the under is not a bad bet here. Yeah. Well, and that's actually been a pretty good bet in college football a lot this year. There's been a lot of unders from what I've seen. Yeah. So Parker, give us one reason TCU is going to win this game and one reason Oklahoma state is going to win this game. Uh, one reason that TCU is going to win this game is having a healthy quarterback who can run like Chandler Morris, Max Duggan's been all been limited all season in his rushing ability. And I think that that adds a third dimension to TCU's offense. Um, and really the, the offensive coordinator will kind of have the governor off. And so if TCU can score um, decently, I think they'll be able to strike a couple of big plays. If they can stay out of their own way, there, there, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to really stress this Oklahoma state defense. And so that'll be what happened. I think is, is the quarterback run game, or at least the threat of it matters so much that either, 
uh, Morris has a big game or, you know, Oklahoma state starts creeping up and NTC is able to take advantage. It's all Oklahoma state offense versus Oklahoma state defense flip side. Chandler Morris is not, uh, I mean, again, like I said earlier, it's not like he is Johnny Manziel. Um, that performance last week was uh, a lot of factors, but it was mostly on the defense and the offense just did well enough as they've been doing all season. So I, I really think that Oklahoma state's offense should, or defense should be able to kind of stop, uh, TCU's offense. But the real reason is, I mean, I mean, Oklahoma state could run the ball with impunity here and, um, they've been doing that. They're rushing on what, like 67% of their early downs. So mm-hmm. they're really, they're really like to run the ball. And, uh, and so I think that they will be able to take advantage of TCU's run defense. Okay. Ian. Well, so give us, give us a reason why TCU is going to win and why Oklahoma state's going to win. So I think the reason why TCU would win is uh, if they capitalize on mistakes from Spencer Sanders. Uh, we saw against Baylor, you, if you know you throw like three interceptions, TCU could probably take advantage of that. Um, they just got they have to capitalize on that with Chandler Morris, who you know, and, and that TCU offense, who I I kind of think it's better than Baylor's, and they could fully take advantage of that. And then the one reason that OSU would win, it'd be it'd be the deep. Uh, they're coming straight off of a eight sack affair against West Virginia. If they do that again, I mean, yeah, that, that would that'd be that'd be quite impressive. You get a defensive touchdown as well for OSU. I mean, we're we're talking about a whole different ball game. Yeah, I agree. I think. I mean, if if Spencer can stay clean. Uh, that'll be that, that'll be the biggest reason. Obviously, the defense is going to do what the defense does, but if he doesn't throw a bunch of picks or put the ball on the ground, I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, if he gets if he can stay in that sixty five percent plus completion rating, you know, I think we'll be able to score some, or you know, or more than we have been. But I'd still be on the on the under. I think this is going to be like a 27-20 type game, which is what it's basically been for the last three or four years I, so i agree y- y'all want to move on to the college football playoff rankings that came out on tuesday i mean i certainly can talk about teams i could not tell you the top rankings of the college football playoff i summarily do not care about them and i think that they are a cancer on the sport and so well, I, I go out of my way completely. to avoid knowing knowing what they are um so i i mean i'm happy to talk about them you'll just have to uh you'll just have to give me a little backstory well Fair I enough. think I think the mean thing is they put Cincy fifth. They're like, all right, Cincy, we're gonna put you right on the doorstep and never let you in. Like unless unless something crazy happens the next couple of weeks, because and it could. Uh I could see I can see Bama going down into Auburn. Uh, you know, Ohio State still has to play, you know, Michigan and Michigan State. Uh so there's a lot of stuff that could happen in the top that could get them in. And I think they deserve to be in, but we'll, we'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I there, there's no evidence to suggest that Cincinnati won't get jumped by someone behind them, regardless of what they do. They're going to lose steam here at the end. USF uh, they're, they're, they're going to play three just awful teams here at the end. Uh, I mean, SMU is fine, but SMU is nationally underwhelming. They've lost two straight. They're reeling a little bit. Um, so they, their problem is that they ran out of steam, which is, I mean, it's the whole point. You can't, uh, teams can't play their way into the playoff. It really, it's a popularity contest based on eyeballs. So, um, if I were a Cincinnati fan, I would not get my hopes up and I would say, Hey, let's go kick somebody's ass in a, in a near six bowl. (laughs) All right. So since you're not into the, uh, the CFP too much, give us a couple like of your upset alerts here for this weekend. Um, upset picks are, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to see which ones I have that are technically upsets. There's some really good, interesting ones like NC State Wake Forest, I think is a way underrated game. Neither of those teams are going to be involved in the playoff, but this is for the ACC uh, division title. And so I, I think that one's really, really interesting. Um, I have Washington, maybe close to Arizona State. That's aggregate numbers, though. I don't trust that at all because the whole coaching thing and then what's going on there. Um other upset games. Uh, I, I do, you know, we, we pick six or seven games on the bet us college football show every week. And I try to just pick the best value there. I never, I never look at like, Oh, what are my upsets? I don't really track those, but, um, uh, I will say I've predicted the last two Purdue upsets and, um, I'm not predicting one this weekend against Ohio state. So that's a uh. that's an anti-upset, I think, <laughs> um, I think Minnesota could stick Iowa. Iowa has their backup quarterback in which, 
might be an upgrade because Spencer Petras is awful. Um, <laughs> but I do think that Minnesota, when they're doing things right, is a pretty decent football team. Um, oh, there's one. Boston College is, is an under. Here's here's a spicy one. This No one cares about this game. Uh, Boston College is an underdog at Georgia Tech. Phil uh, Yurkovich is back for Boston College. Looks pretty good last week. They might be able to do something there as a, as a two-point dog. Um, what else do I have? I don't know. I like the weird games. Like I'm interested in is, is UTSA going to be able to cover uh, 34 points against Southern Miss? That, that's, that looks fun to me. So the game just, I mean, not from a betting perspective, just, just, you know, curious national implications is can, how, what can Tennessee's offense actually do anything against Georgia's defense? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, so I'm pulling out my preview here. Cause that's kind of what I, um, I preview every game on, on Twitter and post these graphics. So looking at some of these stats, I mean, I, I think that I have Georgia, I have Georgia just barely covering 20 and a half. Um, r- realistically, Tennessee's defense might not be able to do enough against Georgia's offense to stop, uh, to give their offense any kind of fighting chance. Uh, also Tennessee is just running the ball a ton. And Georgia is excellent. I mean, they're excellent at everything, but they're fourth in, in, in EPA per rush. So I think that Tennessee is just not going to be able to find a rhythm on offense. And, you know, that, that'll that be kind of a coaching test for Josh Heupel. Can they unravel? Can he try to start something new? Can he, I don't know, put in Joe Milton and chuck the ball downfield or something crazy? I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, right. I, I don't think that Tennessee's defense is going to be able to do enough against Georgia's offense, which is the more, um, it's the less, it's the less, talked about narrative but i think it's really what's going to decide the game here yeah i mean for me i'm curious to see how georgia can handle tempo i mean because yeah tennessee is a very fast team i mean obviously it's hypo you know air raid background all that you know they they snap the ball a whole lot faster than pretty much any team in the country say georgia they, they, has they do tempo. but if you're if you're snapping the ball super fast and you're only getting three yards of play um, right it gets rough pretty pretty quick Right. And that is the issue. But I mean, even in the past, you know, we saw like a lot of Saban team have a hard time with super fast teams. So I'm curious to see how that'll go. Yeah, definitely. Georgia, they've been they've been having a couple defensive guys get hurt. Uh, one was just announced uh, today, uh, you know, and there's also the other guy, uh, Anderson, who was uh, who got arrested for uh, uh, they're going to say felony rape. So <sighs> that's his season in career is probably done i'm assuming <laughs> unless it's uh, uh unless it's a false uh false report yeah he's his, his life is over i mean that's that's 20 years yeah. in prison yeah absolutely but i i have one big upset uh i think it's it might be flying under the radar but i think washington state might beat oregon i think oregon could be looking Ooh. ahead to utah and it's or oregon's at home it's a 9 30 game Washington State is an absolutely weird team because they can go and beat Arizona State and then like barely beat BYU and get creamed by USC and lose to Utah State. But they've been they've been on a somewhat of a tear and they're coming off a bye week. I know their coach has been having, you know, uh, well, was it Rosevich with the vaccine stuff? But I think uh, Washington State might have turned a corner here. We'll see. That's definitely one I, I have them covering for sure. I think it's a 14 point spread and I have them about 10. So I, I think that's a smart pick. And again, some of these moments, you know, just kind of have the hot hand and feel like, yep, this is, this is one where it could happen. And Oregon has, has kind of been underwhelming since the beginning of the season. So I like that one. That one's kind of spicy. And I mean, that I don't want to say that's good for the, the playoff. Oh, I, I also have a, I think Penn state's going to beat Michigan. I think Michigan's a fraud. Michigan state is less of a fraud, but um, I, I just do not like Michigan. Don't understand the hype. I don't understand. I mean, I un- I partially understand the reason why they rank them ahead of Michigan State because ratings and drama. But from a football standpoint, I don't get it. Uh, I think Michigan's going to lose to Penn State at Penn State. Simple as that. Yeah, I I I, I that was one of my um, kind of best bets on the BetUS show this week was was Penn State pick them. I think that Penn State's defense is way better than they get credit for, and I think that. Um, uh, uh, excuse me, Michigan's offense is not going to be able to get the big plays that they need against this Penn State defense. So I, I think that one's really sharp too. Um, I, 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 I don't remember if that one went to a pick or if that's Penn State plus one, but now, but I, I, I bet it earlier this week and it wasn't huh. pick on, on I didn't State. realize it was that tight. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. And 
Penn State with a healthy Clifford is a different animal, man. They're they're a playoff caliber team if if Sean Clifford doesn't go down during Iowa and isn't hurt during uh I mean they were up 17-3 against Iowa and then they lost 20 20 to 17-23-20 I think. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just absolutely couldn't do anything against Illinois because Clifford was hurt and they don't have a they don't have a serviceable backup. So, um rough rough deal for them because I really do think that they could have been a, a playoff team this year in terms of uh quality. Currently right now, Michigan is a one and a half point favorite on e- according to ESPN. Interesting. That's a, that's a lot of movement. If you got them to pick. I might go bet Penn State plus one and a half again. Yeah. <laughs> money, <laughs> money line on their pick center is a uh, 105. So plus 105. Interesting. Like that one's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have something to do after this uh, podcast. <laughs> I'm put some money on that. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Another sneaky good game. A&M Ole Miss. Um, a&M needs to win out, I think. And then if Alabama loses one more time, it's A&M Georgia instead of Bama Georgia, which that changes everything essentially if uh, Alabama loses. So that's another game to keep an eye out on. It's at Ole Miss. Game day is going to be there. I, I don't have a really strong feeling about that game. A&M's offense is – or A&M's defense is really good, excuse me. But Ole Miss's offense is, you know, Lane Train, Matt Corral, all of that. So – It'll be, it'll be, I'm trying to find a, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road or something. It's like something like that. It's insert the, analogy in, here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Ole Miss is pretty, uh, Ole Miss is pretty banged up and has been the last couple of weeks. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see if they get some guys back or if they've had enough time for Lane to, you know, come up with something, uh, come up with something different. 100%. Yeah. yeah. All right, Park, Parker, I, I need you to do something for me. Tell me why. Notre Dame is way overrated. Please tell me they are because like they should not be like the ninth team in the country. Well, if you, okay. So if you remember, if you just keep in mind the fact that ratings and rankings are marketing tools, right? All they're doing is getting, getting people engaged to and not be otherwise engaged in college football to care, to watch, put their eyeballs on ads. Um, I think that Notre Dame's defense is excellent. Um, evidenced by, I think it was the North Carolina game. They're starting safety was out and they still did fine. Um, their offense is an absolute mess. They have not been able to get Kyron Williams going at all. They should, Jack Cohn was just an awful transfer. They, 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 they should have done something else in the transfer quarter, uh, quarterback there for the, for, uh, through the portal. Um, I don't think, I don't think this Notre Dame team is any different than any other Notre Dame team in that they're going to play solid defense, but offensively, they cannot score enough to keep up with anyone uh, who's who's good, right? They've beaten bad teams and they should be bad teams, but especially they don't have the offensive line this year, I think, to get Kyron Williams going in the run game like they have the last couple of years. Um, and so that there, there's even a ceiling on their already ceiling offense. And like last year, the thing about Notre Dame, you know, they, they got stomped in the playoff semifinal, right? Mm-hmm. That was designed. Everything was going as designed. That was Brian Kelly's best case scenario. This is how he built this team. This is how they want to play. They did it as well as anyone could do it. And they still got their face kicked in because that's not how modern football works anymore. So there's an inherent governor on Notre Dame. Even if everything goes perfectly right for them, they still are going to have to figure out a way to get offense going that has been uncharacteristic for them. I will say this. They did beat Purdue. So Michigan State didn't. Michigan State's seven. Notre Dame's nine, so there's that. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just thinking, like, well, if Notre Dame beat Purdue, shouldn't they be ahead of Michigan State? Well, remember, in college football, the transitive property does not hold, right? Transitive property, if A is better yeah. than B, B is better than C, then A is better than C. Not how college football works, as we all as we all know, having the round robin in the Big 12. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that Notre Dame on any given Saturday could, could play a close game against a, a very – big majority of college football teams, if not win. Um, and so I think that's why they're ranked so high, but I think there's a governor on their offense. I agree with that. And they did pretty well. I mean, granted against Florida state at the beginning of the season with Jack Cohn, and then they've kind of just stumbled along the way. Yeah. And some of that is, is early opponents, but I, I yeah, I, I think that they're not overrated so much as they are exactly who they are. Like, they are a yeah. top 15 team that is not going to be better than a top 15 team. Like they're not going to be a top five team. Yeah. You think they beat Virginia? Cause I'm kind of leaning toward that. I guess um, well, the key here, but... if Brennan Armstrong is not playing, yes. If, if Brennan Armstrong is playing that offense is so explosive, who knows? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to pick that one this week and then the Armstrong stuff, it was like, Hey, I don't know if I, I in good faith can, can put money on that. Not knowing if he's going to play. Oh, that's probably that's one of the better matchups of of units in the in the nation this year is 
uh, Notre Dame's defense versus Virginia's offense if Virginia's healthy. So that was one I was really looking forward to. But, you know, uh, injuries happen. I mean, he had a bye week to recover from BYU, so I'm hoping that he's able to play just because it's that Saturday night. That's a Saturday night football game. It's on ABC. Uh, obviously, you want to have you want to see some fireworks. Definitely, that's one. That's when I'll be circling. Uh, I'll probably dual screen it with Oklahoma State. I was flirting with going to. Uh, I'm I'm in uh, my my schedule is going to work approximately. I was flirting with going to Air Force at Colorado State, and depending on the weather um, and kind of my weekend, I might go just because that feels like a very college football game. You know, like I don't I don't want I don't care about the playoff. I care about Colorado, Colorado State and Air Force playing for a rivalry trophy that. It's called the Ram Falk Trophy or something ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I, I love the Mountain West, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, I did not love being in the Mountain West as a TCU fan, but I love the Mountain West aesthetically uh, from afar. I get that 100. They Mountain West has a good slate of schedule schedule uh, of games. Also, they have five uh, bowl eligible teams. The Pac-12 only has three, so. I don't know what that says about the uh, the the Mountain West, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they got two really good games uh, besides uh, Air Force, Colorado State. They got they have Wyoming, Boise State, winner gets uh, bowl eligibility. Nevada, San Diego State, and then Utah State and San Jose State. Which San San Jose State sneaky good? I think maybe. Their defense is definitely better. Their offense, man, it's so disappointing from last year. It was so fun that they've had injury issues and just haven't been able to replicate it. But I think their defense is better than they get credit for, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, those 930 games, I, I don't know why. Just It's like the matchin almost. We have like the Tuesday night games. Mountain West at 930, you just expect chaos. And it, it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it's, uh, you know, again, that's the best of college football is not the big stuff at the um, – you know, under, under the lights is fun and Notre Dame is, is certainly fun and that's going to be a great game, but it's these kind of random games that are a lot more um, just out there that I think are, are way more, way more fun for, for me. I get that a hundred percent. Awesome guys. Uh, Ian, you have anything else before we wrap this up? Uh, thank you, Barry Sanders. Uh, congrats on getting your number retired and getting a statue long time coming. Uh, I don't know if Barry Sanders ever played TCU, but well, let's talk about that. OSU and TCU have two legendary running backs, LT for TCU and Barry Sanders. I, I just, let's just, I don't want to say who's better, but I, I want to have that discussion. Like Barry Sanders is probably arguably the best running back in the 90s. Some might say Mitt Smith, whatever. And LT was probably the best running back in the 2000s. So, I mean, I just, I, my hot take is that running backs don't actually matter. Um, of course yeah. they do, but past a certain threshold of talent, most of your running back success is going to be um, based on, you know, scheme and execution and your offensive line and your usage. So I think they're both great. And I think that they both have different strengths. Um, Barry Sanders is a legend. That's super cool that he's getting honored this weekend. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So Parker, thanks for coming on. Uh, Please plug all your stuff so people can find you on the socials and all your other cool things that you do. Yeah. The best way to find me is, um, is at Stato war on Twitter. And, um, that that's where you can find links to, you know, I'll retweet my column and, and the, the YouTube link out to the bet us show. And I, I tweet, um, every Tuesday morning, uh, my model, uh, these graphics, uh, for advanced stats previews. So that's the best place to find me. That's kind of the hub. Um, you can check me out there, follow and, and, and everything at stats of war on Twitter. Awesome, man. We really, really appreciate your time. Uh, have a great weekend, Cowboys and Cowgirls. We'll see you on Monday, hopefully after an Oklahoma state victory and, uh, y'all have a good one.